Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. What's that phrase that people say, spring ahead, fall iPhone? <laughs> yes, that, that's exactly that, what they say. <laughs> every year in the fall, there's a new iPhone, and it was, well, last week. We're recording this on Tuesday the 24th to publish on the 27th. Uh, the iPhone came out on the 20th, and I think we both got new iPhones, didn't we? We did. We definitely did, because it's it's iPhone season. We have to. Actually, because of what we do for a living, we are contractually bound to buy iPhones every year. And let me just state for the record that I wish I didn't have to. Uh, I'm really not comfortable with the idea of upgrading all this technology every year. And if this wasn't my day job, I certainly wouldn't. Well, I'm with you there. Well, no, actually, I, I really do coming. enjoy <laughs> I really do enjoy getting a, a new iPhone every year, but I definitely don't need one every year, except that the camera improvements that they've been making year over year have been the thing that have compelled me to go ahead and update. That's an interesting coincidence, because since we do a podcast about photography, we can talk about the new iPhone and its camera features. When you think about it, if you look at Apple's presentation of the iPhone, the one that they gave a few weeks ago, um, if you look at the webpage on Apple's site about the iPhone, it's camera, 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 Memoji, something else. <laughs> it's We should call it the iCamera. It's not a phone anymore. Yeah, well, and that's the thing that people want in their phones. I mean, the fact that it makes calls, who cares? That's That's just baseline. But I know, you know, just... Speaking personally, my wife has an iPhone SE that she's had for a number of years. She really loves the size of it, but it's the camera that is frustrating her more. To get a phone that's a little bit bigger but has a much better camera and much better battery life, uh, that's totally worth it for her. I really wonder what percentage of people use the camera as much as Apple seems to think people use it. You know, they show people taking all these pictures, all kinds of pictures, day and night, and we'll get into night mode later, which is an interesting new feature. But my partner, she takes a couple of pictures every now and then. For her, the camera is part of the phone, but she wouldn't want a new phone for a better camera. And I wonder how many people really succumb to this need for the better camera in the phone. Well, there's sort of a corollary question about that, which is, I wonder how many people are taking the types of... Uh, action or composed or, you know, really deliberate photos that we tend to talk about versus just, you know, having the phone and taking a lot of pictures. Because I think... Documenting their lives. Documenting their lives. I think that happens a lot. And yeah. I think that for a lot of people, they have kids, they have family members, they go somewhere... They have food that desperately needs to be photographed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so... They have pets. They have pets. They have cats. They want well, cat photos. Well, see, that's it right there. That's the market. And so having a better camera that can capture all of those things better, that's the advantage. I mean, look at the improvements that have come to the phone. So you have night mode, which makes things look better under low light. Well, we're always shooting in non-ideal lighting conditions. Uh, you look at something like smart HDR, you want to take a picture and just have it look better. You want something that will 
uh, have a fast enough shutter speed that it's going to actually capture a picture of that cat that's moving. Well, maybe not cat. Cats don't move very quickly. But dogs, dogs move very quickly. Children move quickly and have something where you can just capture that and know that it's going to be probably in focus most of the time rather than all the people who have bought a DSLR and they have a kit lens and they go to take pictures of their kids and they can't understand why there's nothing but blurs everywhere without understanding the whole relationship of increasing your ISO and shutter speed and all of that. Like it's all being done for you for everyday stuff. It's interesting that you mention that because um, what we see in the iPhone in the past few years is the rise of computational photography. Oh, yes. Uh, in other words, the camera is doing most of the thinking for you trying to get an optimal picture. So you don't need to think about ISO shutter speed color, white balance, anything like that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about these new features that are extremely powerful. Just yesterday, um, I was talking to my dentist. Hi, Chris. He listens to the podcast. Um, and, and we were talking about the difference of the computational photography in the iPhone and saying, why aren't the big camera manufacturers doing this? Why isn't Canon, Nikon, Sony, Fuji? Why aren't they introducing the same sort of computational photography? at a minimum, in their low-end, let's say, point-and-shoot cameras. And some of them may even have um, interchangeable lens cameras that are relatively expensive, you know, that come with a kit lens. But why aren't they going into this computational photography? I'm wondering if they just don't have the know-how because it's, it's the companies like Apple and Google who have the engineers that can do this on the software side. I think that's definitely part of it. I think also a lot of it is hardware. Apple is is making custom silicon not just to power the iPhone and, and include all the different radios that it needs. Like it has custom chips that are dedicated solely to photography that it's designed, it has manufactured. And I think we also have to take into account that Apple has billions and billions of dollars <laughs> and they can swamp the capacity of the the chip manufacturers. They can you know, look four or five years out, whereas Canon and Nikon and most of the big camera companies, they aren't doing as well. I think they get by, but the sort of stuff that we're seeing from Apple and from Google in the smartphone world, that's just massively resource-intensive, uh, research and development-intensive. And yes, it would be great to see this on a mirrorless or a DSLR. And we're starting to see a little bit of it, but... Film simulations, it, profiles, things like that. But they're just adjustments to the basic elements, whether it be the color, the sharpness, the shadows and the highlights. They're not doing... You're going to explain later how this multi-frame... Um, whatever it's called thing works, where it's like... <laughs> what, what we're was so the technical. Term? Yeah, well, we have to have the right term. What did you call it? You called it semantic rendering. In, yes, semantic in rendering. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but this is not just one picture that's being processed. This is... It, it's just like... It's almost taking a film and picking frames out of a film at the moment you press the shutter, frames before, during, and after to match the... Anyway, we'll get into that yeah, later. Yeah. How about well, we first discuss... Which phones we bought and why? Because you and I each bought a different new phone. Okay. So I went with the very predictable uh, iPhone 11 Pro. And I did that for a couple of reasons. One, the the Max size. So the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Max Pro. Not a very good name. It's a dumb name. But 
the big one. Um, in the past, it used to be, I think, with the with the iPhone seven and eight models, if you wanted the better camera system, you had to get the max size, the plus size, the plus size. Sorry, that's no longer the case. So with with the tens and the elevens, basically all of the camera stuff is the same. And it's just really a matter of personal preference for size. And and I have found no, I, no, 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 no. It's no, not no, all no, the no. same. No, there's three different models with two different camera setups. I'm sorry. I was talking about the real iPhone 11. Yes. Okay. And not the fake amateur one. We'll right. get to that in okay. a second. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the the 11 Pro and the 11 Pro Max both have the same hardware, the same software. It's it's just a matter of do you want to carry a larger slab. And I have found that personally, it's it's just too big. So I got that. And I got that specifically because I wanted all three cameras. And the three cameras are, there's the regular wide camera, which is what's basically been on every model. There is a new ultra wide, which is approximately like a 13 millimeter equivalent. So the I think. wide is 26. The ultra wide is 13. This is in 35 millimeter equivalent. Yeah. And then there is a telephoto camera, which is... 52. 52, okay. And what's interesting about these is if you want telephoto, you have to get the Pro. And in fact, going back to my wife's example, she probably would have gotten just the the regular iPhone 11, except that she will more likely, more often, want to shoot in telephoto. It's a very clever marketing bit. And that's a choice that I find surprising uh, because previously we only had two cameras. So it was the wide and the telephoto. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, a 52 millimeter is not a telephoto. It's sort of a normal focal length of what the eye sees. Sure. Um, 26 is wide and 13 is ultra wide. But segregating the phones with the, let's say, the tele- let's say the longer lens. I don't want to say telephoto. I don't like that. <laughs> Segregating the phones with what we could call the longer lens, the zoomable the lens, zoom, what yeah. they used to call optical zoom, um, is kind of strange. So I got the iPhone 11 Amateur in product red. Um, it's the first time I've ever had a phone that wasn't black or space gray, as they call it. I've always gone for black phones. And I figured, well, for once, I'm going to have a little whimsy in the color of my phone. And my main reason is, well, last year... I had bought the XS Max, so the bigger one, and I came from an 8 Plus before that, so I'd gotten used to the larger size. The XS Max is slightly smaller than the 8 Plus, and I really liked it, but even on the the iPhone upgrade program, I was paying 61 pounds a month, and this one's 40 pounds a month, and you know, the only time I really use the cameras that much on the iPhone is like for this podcast or for one or two articles, and it's just not worth it. I just... I find it insulting to pay that much for a phone, even though it's a phone camera. I'm actually quite satisfied. I, it's a little bit smaller than what I'm used to, so I kind of lose a little bit of space. The specs between the models are exactly the same, with the exception of the cameras and the displays. So I've got the same processor. I've, I've got the same camera features. And if you remember when portrait mode came in, it would only work with the models with two cameras, whereas now, since they all have two cameras, um, or three, they can all do that. And I just didn't want to pay more. So I bought the iPhone 11 Amateur, and I'm quite satisfied with it. What I do find surprising, though, is the wide and ultra-wide. And I've been trying to think about why they would go to this ultra-wide angle lens. Um, I think it suits two particular types of photography. One is vacation landscape photography, when you really want that expansive view. 
And the other is when you're shooting groups of people in small locations, like a bar, a cafe, a home, or whatever, you're going to get more people in the shot when you've got a wider angle. Another thing about the ultra-wide angle, and I did some tests in my garden, and you're going to put a couple of photos into the show notes um, about night mode that we'll discuss later. I, I didn't have any time to do anything really nice, but I just did a couple of shots like, here's a rose that I'm focusing on and, and looking into the background. And you get so much more depth of field with the ultra-wide angle lens that you can be really close to people. The background's going to be in focus. You don't have to worry too much. Whereas with the regular wide angle, the rose was in focus and there was some background blur and you may not always want that. So essentially we have the same devices that can do the same things. You just have an extra lens. Everything you just said really points to another thing that we've talked about before, which is how are you going to use it? What are you going to use it for? Now, in your case, I honestly can't think of a time when you would really want that telephoto lens because the things that you're mostly taking pictures of, you can just move closer to. There's not that Kirk needs to go and get really close to something that's far away. Let's say you go to uh, Stonehenge, which is near you, and you're like back at the road and, and you don't want to get out of your car. Well, you can't get too close. You, you have to stay about 50 meters away anyway. Exactly. Switching to the telephoto lens, it's not that big of a difference on the phone. So it's not like when you have a mirrorless or a DSLR and you have like a 100 millimeter or a 400 millimeter lens that has the big serious telephoto because you want to capture something that's really far away. This telephoto on the iPhone, it's going to get you a little bit closer. What I find interesting is they know that most people who are casual shooters, they're going to want that telephoto. Because anecdotally, I see people pinching and zooming their phones all the time when I'm out in public, even though it makes me cringe because once you get past that 2x level, it's all digital. It's not optical. And so you get a lot of blurriness. True, but the software does compensate for that a bit. It does. It makes it better. And I think 80% of the people will look at that and go, oh, look, it's the pretty shot that I wanted. And then weirdos like us are going to look at it and go, oh, my God, it's pixelated. It, it'll be so, good enough. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to drop a couple photos in the show notes showing the wide and ultra wide angle lens. I'm standing in one corner of my garden taking a photo of my house. And from the first photo with the normal wide angle lens, it looks about what I see in terms of size, a little bit smaller. But then you go out to the ultra wide and it's like, wow, you could play a football game on that field. It's not quite that big. <laughs> you could put a couple tennis courts. And that made me think that the iPhone's ultra-wide-angle lens is the perfect camera for real estate photography. If you're doing real estate photography, you have better gear, but... Well, no. What this is is for people to not pay a photographer to do it, for people in real estate companies to do it themselves. They'll uh, even get the pro. They've got really good quality in terms of, yeah. um, in terms of lighting up spaces without good light. The quality of the photos is good enough for most real estate photography. If you're dealing with multi-million dollar houses, obviously you have to have pro. Um, but you know how it is when you see the photos of the rooms in a house and they're the size of like the Hogwarts Great Hall where all the kids eat and, you know, you go in and there's just like room for a, a, a sofa and a table. I also like it when I go to a house and all the all the staircases move. Yes. Anyway, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the specific technical features that are involved in semantic rendering and night mode. 
Okay, so um, we want to talk about the technology used here, the software technology. But first, just a couple of things we were talking during the break. There are some differences in the cameras, the ultra-wide angle camera. It's weird because these are cameras, not lenses. I'm tempted to say lenses because we're used to changing lenses, where each one of these is a camera and a lens with its own um, sensor. The ultra-wide is different from the wide and telephoto in that it doesn't have optical image stabilization and it can't shoot raw. So you have some more limitations with the ultra-wide. It also doesn't do the night mode. That's right. One thing that I read is that the ultra-wide camera doesn't have the same focus pixels. It doesn't have the same underlying technology. So I think that there must have been some trade-offs in if you're going to get a wide-angle the technology either isn't there or maybe it was too expensive or what have you in order to bring it to the same level as the other two cameras. Okay, so semantic rendering. We're going to link to an article in The Verge. It's Nalay Patel's review of the iPhone. Well, actually, it's his review of the camera that comes... <laughs> that you, you get an iPhone with in addition when you buy this camera. Basically, most of the review is about the camera. And he, and he talks about semantic rendering. It's almost as if the sensor is always on, capturing frames before you tap the shutter button or press the side button to activate the shutter. And it just dumps everything that's not needed. So it's probably got a buffer and it just keeps recording. And then you tap the shutter and it takes a picture and it grabs frames before and after and during and does all sorts of really interesting things to them. Thanks for explaining it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, all sorts of really interesting things. That all sorts well really in Apple hey, You know, we, we started at the very beginning that we're not going to be a gear show. So yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's fascinating stuff that's going on. And some of this has been happening for a while. So every time you've taken a shot with an iPhone camera, it's captured multiple frames and blended them together. And particularly in the iPhone 10, where they really made some advances on that. We've talked about computational photography. That's the big buzzword. And what's interesting about that, uh, last year with the iPhone 10s, they introduced smart HDR. So you were getting an HDR image, whether you wanted it or not, you could turn it off. But in most cases, it did such a good job that you did want it. And it wasn't, you know, really exaggerated or garish the way a lot of HDR can be. And in this case, what's happening is exactly what you said. The camera is always recording. It's always capturing little slices. And then depending on the conditions... If, say, it's a low-light condition, not even night mode yet that we're talking about, it's going to take a bunch of slices, a bunch of exposures at different times, and then blend those together. The algorithms are looking for exposure, it's looking for sharpness, it's looking for contrast. And so the result, even you know, under great lighting conditions in the middle of the day, you're going to take a photo, and that photo is actually a composite of little fractions of a second, they then get put together and blended and adjusted. And also, don't forget, because we have multiple cameras, there's a depth map that's being applied if you're using portrait mode. But I think even if you're not using portrait mode, the processor is able to look and say, oh, well, that that's a human face. So I'm going to treat the human face, maybe that'll be a little warmer than the background or balance the color. And all of that is just happening immediately. 
On the one hand, it's doing bracketing. And when we discussed HDR, we talked about that. You shoot three pictures, one at normal exposure, one underexposed, and one overexposed. You dump them into an app, and it stirs and mixes, and it comes out with something. But here, it's just using more than just the exposure. As you say, it's talking about contrast and focus and, and depth and all that. What it essentially comes out to is that you cannot take a photo with the stock camera app that is a photo of what you're seeing. It's always going to be interpreted through this computational algorithm. Third-party apps will let you do this. In particular, you can shoot raw, and that'll be a freeze frame of what you've seen. But no photo you get from the iPhone is exempt from this. So they're not real. Nothing is real. Nothing is Nothing real is anymore. Real. That's that's what it is. No, it's yeah. it's true. I mean, this is the whole point of what Apple has been trying to do is the result is either as good as you expect it to be or it is better than what you're seeing with your eyes or it is if i can just keep adding ors or it's better than what most camera sensors will see because the camera sensors as we said earlier in in real cameras don't do this computational stuff and since they're only grabbing a single frame you have limits exactly um, whereas here it's it's this blending of everything and you may disagree with it, that you may not want the faces to be warmer. You may not want the, the background to have that blur and all. But I think for 90% of the people, this is better photos than they would get from any point-and-shoot camera. And for that reason alone is a justification. You know, people sometimes ask me, I'm going to go on a vacation. Should I get a camera? What should I get? And, I, and I'm more tempted to tell people, just get an iPhone. Because if they're already asking the question, they don't know how to use a real, in quotes, camera, um, why get a point and shoot when an iPhone is going to make pictures just as good? Yeah. Or if you have a specific need, you're going on Safari, you're going to want a camera that has a good lens, etc. But for, for Particularly just, a long zoom. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like some of those zoom. little pocket, I think they call them travel zooms now, they can zoom to like 120 times. Yeah. Those are really good entry level. You don't have to know everything about it. Okay, the other really neat feature is night mode. And essentially what this does is you can go someplace where there's not much light and you can get a photo with a lot of light. I've only had a couple opportunities to do this because we've had a lot of rain, but I did go out one night a couple days ago and I was very impressed about how much light there was in the photos. In I was doing this at dusk, um, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, so not entirely dark. I almost wish, remember when Apple came out with that effect in iMovie where you would zoom and pan on still photos? They called it the Ken Burns oh, effect. Yes. Well, I think they should call night mode the Todd Heido effect. And I'm going to link in the show notes <laughs> to Todd Heido's website. Um, one of his long series of photos was pictures of suburban houses taken at night with somewhat long exposures. So they don't quite look like daylight, but there's a lot of light. And I've got a poster on my wall of one of his photos, um, a very large blue poster, and you've got these the light streaming out of the windows of the of the house. And it's 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 a thing and, and it's created a kind of a lot of people have emulated this type of photography. And looking at some of the night mode photos that I was shooting outdoors, they looked a lot like this. I don't think everyone's going to be shooting night mode outdoors. I think it's more like you're in a bar and you're taking pictures of friends and it's dark. Um, it's less 
to do a landscape photo um, at night. One, one thing I did notice, though, is that if it is totally dark, night mode will make terrible photos. Yeah. You need some light, whether it be um, the moon, the stars, uh, ambient light from, from houses or street lights. You need some light. Otherwise, it's just a muddy mess. Yeah. Going back to the basics of photography, the camera is not going to add any light unless you have a flash, but uh, you know, we're not going to deal with flashes because usually they just don't work very well unless you have external flashes, but set that aside. The camera's not going to add light. What it's going to do is it's going to work with the available light. And when there's very little available light, you either are out of luck, and that's pretty much been the case with the iPhones up till now, or you somehow increase the gain, you increase the ISO on another camera. And so what's happening with, with the iPhone's night mode, it's basically doing that. It's, it's letting in more light. And the way you do that is you have a longer shutter speed. So you open the shutter longer, more light comes in, uh, better scene. But the trade-off there, of course, is that with a longer shutter speed, if you move the camera, if something moves in the frame, then you get blur and it's a mess anyway. Well, in my tests, and this is doing two and three second exposures, you can see the exposure um, sort of ticking away in, in the interface. Yeah. Um, if I was shooting fixed objects like houses, they weren't blurred at all because the camera was spotting them as you moved using the optical stabilization. Yes. But I shot a photo of my partner in front of our house and the fence was in perfect focus, but she had moved a slight bit, so she was blurry. Uh -huh. So night mode doesn't work too well with people. Uh, unless you make sure that they stay very still. And if you remember Apple's presentation, they showed a night mode picture of a woman on a couch, and she was must have been really still. Yeah. Um, but if there's more light, so night mode is kind of, it's like a continuum between just enough light and not enough light. And if you've got a higher end of light, it's going to be a half a second. Um, it's not going to be three seconds. So there are a lot of cases where it's going to work really well, but with people, it's not as good. But see, this also ties into developing technology for how people are using the camera. Because, you know, yes, you can go and put a camera on a tripod and get a long exposure and get everything cleared and focused. But, you know, most of the time, somebody, like you said, they're in a bar, they're at a coffee shop, they're at, at a nightclub, and things are going to be dark and they're going to be shooting handheld. And so what the night mode is doing is it's taking all of that semantic rendering and combining all that together. But in addition, it's making long exposures that are going to be blurry, but then grabbing pieces of other exposures that's taken, you know, a, a dozen or more and assembling those into a version that has more light and sharpness in more areas. It's not perfect. It's quite impressive. But it's quite if, impressive. If you're in a situation with, with low-ish light, it's really impressive. If you try to do it at night, it's not that great. But again, you can put it on a tripod or just lean it up against something. Yeah. Um, I, I took a couple of shots. We were sitting on the patio. Um, I think it was Friday night. It was dark. And I leaned it against a... Uh, a bottle and took a shot of the sky and I could see the stars quite well. Oh, nice. Um, so as long as it doesn't move during the exposure, you're fine. And because of all this hardware software integration, the phone is also using its optical image stabilization, but it is also using the gyroscope and the sensors uh, within to help determine what, what the movement is. 
if you do set the iPhone on a tripod and use the night mode, then it's going to actually know that the camera isn't moving and do an even longer exposure than if it were handheld. I mean, what's great about this is it's very smart about how it's approaching this, but you don't have to be smart about it. All you have exactly. to do is notice how long to hold still. And it, and it actually says, it'll say hold still yeah. and it counts down. You can turn it off, which is a nice little convenience if you really Because maybe you don't. do want a photo to be dark. It works really well. And I think also compared to some of the other phones that are out there that had night mode before the iPhone, artistically, I think Apple has been restrained in the implementation of this. So rather than a dark scene looking like the middle of the day or uh, La Nuit Americaine, if I can be all yes. Frenchy and cinematic. Day for night, as day for they night. say in English, yeah. It actually looks like a shot that is taken in a dark environment or at night, but it's boosted the available light so you can actually see what's there. Like Todd Heido's houses. Yes. Um, One thing I find interesting, and you mentioned it just before, is you don't need to know any of this for this to work. You don't need to listen to a podcast to tell you how this works to be able to take these photos. That's the best part. Before we finish, I want to talk about one more really important feature that really deserves mention. And it, it may be the most important feature for photography in the iPhone, the new iPhone. It is portrait mode for pets. Portrait mode for pets. Yes. Yes. How do we not lead with that? Well, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when, when, when Apple does these presentations, I tweet a lot about things like that. And I must have gotten 500 retweets when I said, finally, portrait mode for pets. So many people were excited <laughs> saying, now I'm going to buy an iPhone. Um, it's not perfect. And I'm going to put a photo in the show notes of Rosalind the cat posing for portrait mode for pets. Uh, it's better than the previous portrait mode. But if you look around the edges of the hair, you can see it still cuts things off a little bit. It cuts the whiskers off. I, I'm, it's okay, but it's not good enough for me. It's a start. It's a start. Well, you could already do this in the past. I mean, I have portrait mode photos I shot of my cats back with the iPhone 8 Plus. Um, They're a little bit better, but it's still not that great. Okay, well, that's enough. I think it's time for our snapshots. Do you have a snapshot this week? I do have a snapshot. Um, It's not actually photography related, but it's iPhone related. And that is a wireless charger. All phones since the iPhone 8 are capable of Qi charging. So you can set the phone down on a wireless pad, some sort of charger, and it charges, which is great if you don't want to have to deal with plugs and such. Uh, So the one I have here is the Anchor Wireless Charger PowerPort Wireless 5 Stand. Uh, Of course, we'll have a link in the show notes. And what I like about it is... It's a stand, so it is like at a 40-degree angle or so. And I can just set my phone on it, and it will charge. I do this at night, and because it's at that angle, the phone stays where it needs to be. It's like $20, $21. You have to supply your own uh, USB power plug, but it works great. It's a slow charger which is fine for overnight. They also have models that will charge more quickly. In fact, there's one model that will do fast charging, but it has a fan in it. And (laughs) I don't want a charger that has a fan. Especially if you've got it like on a bedside table. Exactly. Kirk, do you have a snapshot or did you just say, I'll forget it? 
Um, you know, I actually didn't, uh, I often come into the podcast without having chosen a snapshot and I have to look around to see what I've been working with recently. How you're and giving away what, our secret. <laughs> yes. And that was the case today, but, but there's a new edition of Todd Heido's book called House Hunting, uh, which is coming out very soon in October from Nasrelli Press. And this is the book where Todd Heido first showed these pictures of homes at night. There'll be a link in the show notes to the Nasrelli Press website and also to Amazon where you can order it using um, our affiliate link so we can make a couple of bucks if you buy it, because you have to buy this. This is one of the seminal photo books of this century. Um, this type of imaging that Todd Heido did took drab suburban landscapes and gave them a character that hadn't been seen before, shooting at night with long exposures, shooting film. Um, sometimes he would just drive around and stop and shoot pictures through the windshield of his car. And that may sound a bit, I don't know, unrefined, but I actually like some of those photos better than the others. I don't have this particular book. I have another book of his that has some of these photos, and I've ordered a copy of the new edition of this. Um, I find this really powerful stuff, but it has generated lots of copies. This is a thing uh, I see on Instagram. There are whole accounts dedicated to, uh, you know, curating people who do this kind of night photography, sort of semi-long exposure where you get the lights and you get neon. And you often get like, uh, imagine the stoplights coming through the fog, you know, where you get a lot of colors that come in fog. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, well, when you see too many, it looks boring. But this is where it all started. Uh, you know, the same that um, Michael Kenna told me in, in our interview that he had invented the um, genre of photographing sticks in water. Uh, I think Todd Heido invented the genre of photographing, you know, lights at night in suburbia. Anyway, uh, fascinating book, 75 bucks from Nasrelli Press out in October. Um, it's not a big book. It's only 26 photos. Um, but it, it's, it's a very large size. His books are very large sized and they're very immersive. And the quality of, of the printing of all Nasrelli Press books is splendid. So there you go. The Todd Heido effect in the new iPhone. So did you get an iPhone? I mean, I know, Kirk, you did. I did. You're talking to you, the people out in radio. Land. You listening. Yes. Hey, yes. hey, you driving. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you got an iPhone, a new iPhone, let us know in our the Photoactive Facebook group and uh, post some pictures. We're curious to see what people are doing with it. And also, what are you doing with the ultra-wide camera? Uh, we'd love to see this new iPhone possibility and see what people are doing with it. And we want to see your night mode pictures. But above all, we want to see your portrait mode photos of your pets. We'd prefer cats. But if you have other pets, that's okay, too. I'll see if our bird will pose. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. 